So guys, welcome to episode 24 of the Humanity Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. I am joined today by Mike Summers. What is up, Mike? Hi there, you okay? Yeah. Uh, dude, I'm glad uh, glad you took it up on such short notice as well. Because no, thanks, I, I, I texted this dude at like ha- half 11 at night, like, oh, dude, do you want to be on the podcast? <laughs> thanks very much for doing that. No uh, well, man, so... So, Mike, do you want to tell everyone where you're from and where you train in case they want yeah. to get around with you sometime? We, uh, so, I train out of Belfast. Um, we have a team here called Forge Grappling. Uh, we have a relatively new team, I suppose, in, in the in the scene. Maybe uh, 2018, we kind of started training, and uh, we've grown pretty quickly this last this last two years or so. Then, um, and we have quite a, a cool gym down in the sort of uh, in, in East Belfast, between East Belfast and North Down, um, in the little harbour area. There, we have quite a, a cool gym, and. Uh, I'm obviously not from Belfast. You probably guessed that from my accent, but um, so I've done a lot of traveling with jiu-jitsu and things, and uh, and struck upon a really good group of guys. We have a great team, good standard of jiu-jitsu, or hopefully a good standard of jiu-jitsu and a good competitive streak in us. So starting to really flourish up until the pandemic in March. So, mm. so yeah, has uh, the whole Corona thing affected your business and stuff like? Uh... Or are you, oh, you, you, are you all doing like Zoom classes and stuff? Uh, no, we're not. I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably, I don't know whether I'm going to offend people or not, but I'm pretty sort of strongly opinionated on this sort of stuff, and I don't think it's something you can teach over Zoom. Um, I think that you know, if you were to try and demonstrate shoulder pressure on a on a pillow, you're not in any way. <laughs> that's not going to do anything for the person viewing it. Um, they're not going to be able to replicate that you're not easily going to be able to fix any issues they're having with that. Um, and that's just that's just sort of basics of, of, you know, weight distribution and things. You then mm. sort of, you can't, like, say this pandemic lasts for, uh, what are we now? Uh, we're coming up the middle of June. So say, say this lasts for another two months, which it could feasibly could do, or it could certainly affect our sport for another two months. Um, you can't string out teaching solo drills for five or six months of that so yeah, at some point you need to teach mm. a leap or some sort of i don't know guard retention from della heva N- none of that can be done over zoom so yeah um <laughs> the, I, th- I, th- I think what was uh what we did was well what i did um which hopefully is going to pan out quite well is that with that in t- that in sort of time and uh Resources have been reinvested elsewhere, um, which uh, probably areas that aren't directly going to affect jiu-jitsu in terms of our technique or our ability, but will will pay dividends when we get back to competing, um, strength and conditioning, that sort of thing. So, yeah, uh, to, if you ask me, it's a golden opportunity to, to actually switch off from some of the distractions such as the jiu-jitsu and focus on getting strong, getting fit. Um and I'm trying to sort of drive that home to the people that I, I talk to daily. Mm. No, that's a pretty good way because, you know, it's very easy to just wallow in despair for yeah. the next few months. It's actually yeah. hard, you know, go and uh, lift well, everything for a few weeks. Yeah, I think like when we, we closed our gym, it was a Friday afternoon and we, we closed our gym a week before the official sort of closure of uh, hospitality premises came in so i can't remember exactly the dates here but it was it was the last week in march i think and we were a week early um and I kind of take, took the assumption of like if you're going to hand pick a sport for spreading what could be a deadly virus and then you've picked it with jiu-jitsu so it wasn't even a, a question as to whether we should close or not so we, we closed that day uh, I, I sort of moped around the house probably for a week. I was pretty miserable. Uh, I went from teaching three classes a day to nothing. Um, and I was really miserable and then kind of switched off from jiu-jitsu. And, and this, really, this conversation we're having now is more, probably one of the first times I've sat and thought about jiu-jitsu in any real detail since uh, the lockdown. Mm. Oh, well, man, uh, glad to be of service in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably, uh, it's probably needed, in all fairness. 
Mm. So that that's the one thing everyone says to me whenever I have them on. Like, man, talk about jiu-jitsu for an hour. Thank you. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like get, getting their daily dose. I do. Yeah, I could, that, I could do that for five hour. hours. You'll be switching me off at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so yeah, one thing I'm curious about with each of my guests is uh, how you got into martial arts. Did you train anything else before starting jiu-jitsu? Um, well, yeah, briefly, I um. So I'm from a, an area in England, um, fairly sort of rural in the West Midlands, but it's a city, but it's, it's not a big city at all. And I, uh, so at my one New Year's Eve, I, I think it was 2011, maybe 2010, um, I had my drink spiked and um, I'm not, not a big drinker, certainly not a big drinker now. And I wasn't then and I wasn't into drugs or anything like that. And I had my drink spiked and I woke up in uh, A&E. Uh, having my stomach pumped uh, I can't remember the full details of this because obviously I was I was paralytic um, and then that had to be obviously flushed out my system and things and, and felt horrendous for a couple of days and made a decision pretty much then that you know I'd stopped playing football and things so I was pretty unhealth- unhealthy as it was um, and I tried to try and get myself into something that would focus my my uh, energy focus um sort of uh, t- occupy time when I wasn't in work. Uh, at the time, I was a commercial insurance broker, which was really boring, really mind-numbing. Um, but it didn't give me any, I didn't have anything outside of that either, which was pretty depressing. So uh, I, I started looking around. Martial arts seemed something that would suit, would fit the bill. Um, but I was completely naive. I was an absolute, I was clueless. Um, so I went to a, like a kickboxing place that was also like stroke kung fu um, and I had no idea what I was getting myself in for and about a couple of months went by where I was doing the the one session a week for I think the monthly membership this is 2010 or 11 like I say uh, was 50 pound or something like that and you had to spend 100 pound on the uniform and insurance and the license and I, I like I said I was clueless on it all um, and then one of the, it was, it's an army town where I'm from, and one of the guys was there, and he was visiting on some sort of work army-related exercises, I'm not sure what, and he said to me that there was an MMA gym in the town, and I didn't know this, and he said, they're all full of thugs, so don't go down there, you'll get beaten up. So I went home that night, and I googled the MMA gym, wondering what I was going to see, and what I found was... Brazilian jiu-jitsu classes, loads of guys in geese, the usual stereotypical kind of unassuming looking guy with glasses wearing a gi, kids classes, uh, and I did a bit more digging around and realised that it was actually a really legitimate gym. Um, and I, what it, I sort of struck gold with with that team being my first team. Um, it's a gym called the Combat Academy in Hereford. Um, and... The black, the black belt there was a guy called Dave. Well, is a guy called Dave Coles, who's a black belt under Braulio, um, and he was already a black belt then. So it gives you some idea. There were there were probably only 30 black belts in the country in the UK back then, uh, and he was he was one of them. So I really did strike gold, strike gold with that. Um, sorry, there we go, um, and. So uh, Karen, I'm going to the classes, and oh, it was I was so shit. <laughs> As uh, that's pretty standard for each person. Yeah, well, there was there was shit, and there was like completely, you know, horrendous. Um, and that's pretty much like if you were to if you were to end the story there, and then move to what we have now, and the team Forge Grappling, what the name is, and things. Um, the, you know, that that's that's basically you come in and you're, you're soft as shit, you're crap, you've you've got no understanding of what's going on, your ability is poor, uh, you may be in great shape, you may be really strong, but you still don't know what you're doing. Um, and eventually, through hammering <laughs> into it and just getting stuck into it and getting beaten up every day, you eventually get a little bit less shit, and then eventually you might get a blue belt. And and so on. That's a, so that was where the kind of the idea came from was that if if somebody as shit as me can 
can progress um you know anyone can but um yeah so it was a really good gym to start off in the level was was good for the time as well as far as i remember i can't remember all the all the 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 people there and things now it was quite a while ago um but it was a good environment to begin in and it was a really unique i say unique actually no no it's not it's typical brazilian jiu-jitsu old school brazilian jiu-jitsu gyms as i as i would think of them um probably would be considered unique now um they were quite sort of you know um team orientated very fairly tribal and and that's that's been fed mm. back to our sort of uh forged grappling mindset as well has, has adopted that so coming through that has, has really sort of shaped my mind on that yeah mm. so, so yeah to bring it back to the kung fu thing and since yeah. you had to pay uh you had to pay the membership you had to pay for the uniform and the insurance yeah. Yeah. Did the topic ever come up about you registering your hands as lethal weapons? <laughs> joke, like. I just took that for granted. I thought that was what that's what he meant. <laughs> yeah. Like, did, uh, did that ever actually come up? Not that I remember. Um, no, in all seriousness, no. But there was a lot of sort of um, uh, playing off the mythology of certain things, and it, it you know. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing and I was clueless to the the world of martial arts at the time, but I wasn't completely stupid. And I thought, I can't imagine, you know, I was watching at the time, uh, John Jones had just won the championship, the the UFC light heavyweight, I think. I think he'd just beaten Shogun. Uh, mm. And I was watching John Jones. Or no, sorry, I could I could have been watching Shogun or somebody like that. And somebody did some sort of jiu-jitsu technique. I think it was Shogun. And... Um, and I remember thinking, like, that guy just looks like he could beat anybody up. And then I started like looking at whether what martial arts were in MMA, what made up MMA. I had no intention of doing MMA, but I was just curious. And none of them consisted of kung fu <laughs> or, or um, sort of the kickboxing that I was be- I was seeing. Muay Thai is completely different, obviously. Um, but what I was sort of being exposed to was not what I was seeing in MMA, so I quickly dropped that and uh, and joined the uh, the Combat Academy with with Dave Coles. I think I joined within the week. I can't remember exactly, but hmm. see, so, uh, I'm always this is like uh, I love this question. It's different for like everyone because there's always there's always like a great story behind it. So yeah, uh, what was your first experience competing in jiu-jitsu and what would you say was the biggest takeaway from it? Uh, I got caught in a standing guillotine um, by um, this ball of muscle from Poland. Um, yeah, it, it was it was n- nothing I've ever experienced. It was it was um, it was a good day. I enjoyed it because it was a repercharge. So I got two matches, uh, lost both. Um, but the, well, I think you, you, certainly in that. Uh, that competition scene you had to go through a real depth of ability to to get out of the white belt brackets if that makes sense um you could have because at the time as well you could have semi you could have amateur and pro mma guys in a gi wearing a white belt so yeah exactly so you turn up to a i don't know if you've heard of it but the hereford open was quite a big event um on the jiu-jitsu calendar across the uk you had the british open i think from from memory english open and a handful of others and the hereford open was always highly regarded amongst the guys you'd have guys coming down from liverpool and things um so yeah you'd have like a maybe 20 people in your bracket at white belt under 82 or under under 76 or whatever and in the adult and a couple of them could be semi sort of amateur um mma guys and and you wouldn't know who you were coming up against, uh, and then you were literally just fresh meat. Different at blue belt, certainly different from purple belt, as I'm experiencing, um, where there's a, you can gauge the person you're up against to a degree. You can sort of think, right, uh, he's purple belt. I know he's been a purple belt for three years, so I know that he's going to have a reasonable good standard at that level and things. You can kind of figure that out. Uh, white belt is just a free for all, and and it's less so now, but at the time even more. So you you know come up against 
a one stripe white belt if, if if stripes matter and he may have had three mma fights and one two by submission for all you know but it doesn't matter because it's not it wasn't in the geese sort of thing i mm. uh, see so, uh do you have a favorite win from all your years of competing <laughs> like uh, probably like one or two um i and really, um i really enjoyed nogi this last 18 months 12 months 18 months since probably the, the nogi hype train has sort of taken and adcc has become far more popular the leglock game and things um and ebi so competed in grappling industries last year and probably happiest with that i think based on the results and just being able to impose the game that i've been working on um up until then i've always never been happy never been happy with performances because you know that's <laughs> just just the that's just jiu-jitsu <laughs> was that the the grappling industries in december at dcu yeah yeah oh man that's actually the one where I, I first saw you at like i was there i was just helping my guys like i was injured so i couldn't compete okay, I, I i think like uh i don't know how i like found your profile that day i think i just saw the hashtag of grappling industries that day i'm like okay, oh yeah. that guy i know just one hell of a coincidence <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's good visions are great for that aren't they you can meet like uh, I know hundreds of people throughout the year at different competitions and things, and then you'll continuously bump into them from then on. So you you build up a pretty good relationship with loads of good people. And the the myth, no, not myth, sorry, the cliche of there's very few dicks in jujitsu. It, it it sort of holds true. There there are still dicks, but there's not that many. Mm. So you know you're gonna I, meet. Like man, see, like man, it's pretty fucking weird because like uh. Like there's like it is a small country and it's like a small community in and of the country because like yeah. uh, I see that I it's this is ridiculous. See, once I got my blue belt, I was competing uh, a few times and I'd always see this one fucking dude at this competitions, this purple belt guy I knew in passing. I'd see him like, oh, what's up, man? I see him at the next one like, oh, dude, you again? Then I see him at the third one. It's like, man, are you fucking stalking me or something? <laughs> yeah, I oh, know it's crazy. And uh, there's still people to this day that I would have dealt with like i'd have met just a passing sort of hello to maybe eight ten years ago and to this day i'm still would still bump into them and talk to them and things and you know i don't you, could, you probably couldn't even put it's probably not even five minutes worth of conversation in total but you still kind of build up a bit of a, a sort of a just a an acquaintance with so many different people and i think that's really good mm. uh man that's pretty pretty fucking uh weird you know it's just a funny thing if you think about it see so, um what's it do speaking of like uh, competitions go back to that what do you have a preferred rule set to compete under uh whatever my strengths are which at the moment is not ibjjf gi um so probably probably no gi ad well probably, i've never done an adcc rule set but i would like to but you know, something like a grappling industries rule set is, is perfect for me um with leg locks and reaps in, in the gi i mean like there's not many people that prepare for that so that's something we focus on quite a lot at my gym uh and then obviously no gi as well that's it goes without saying but the i like the gi rule set of, of grappling industries and obviously i love the no gi rule set yeah wrist locks a white belt for life yeah yeah and <laughs> well we have a we <laughs> basically anybody we don't we don't do stripes outside of white belt um so on the basis of if you need a stripe to continue training then it's probably not probably not really you know the sport or the gym for you um but what we would do is we would encourage you know you can do whatever techniques you want to do whatever sorry whatever submissions you want to do within reason on on an appropriate partner um so for example if you've got a three stripe white belt he i have no issue with he gets heel hooked by a blue belt if that makes sense um mm. there was a, a one stripe white belt or someone that's just completely naive to what he's in i think the person who's applying the technique should have a bit more uh a bit, you know uh, be more proactive in letting go and things like that but that just comes with time but there was a, I went to a seminar at, um, uh, there's a gentleman called Chris Thompson. I don't know if you know of him. He owns Grapple Fest or he runs Grapple Fest with his business partner. And he, 
he used to have a gym in Liverpool, which I think he's now moved out. He's moved to Spain. But anyway, um, he's an interesting guy. And I've only ever met him once, but I went to a seminar at his gym with Jeff Glover. And it was a really good uh, environment there. The guys were all really friendly and, and, and really unique, sort of well, what I, at the time I considered unique. And I was rolling with their white belts in Nogi and they were just tying my legs up and ripping them apart. And I was getting very frustrated and thinking, you know, I can pass your guard or I can take it back or something like that. But every time I try to do all this sort of stuff and I can feel that I can do that, I can feel I can get good positions on them, but then I get leg locked or something. And I had a quick chat with him in between rounds and he said he teaches leg locks to every single person that comes through the door. Obviously, you know, if he's teaching armbar week, then he focuses on the armbar, but, but everybody is, is subjected to the same uh, style or same, same rule set, basically, whether you're a brown black belt or one of the white belts in the first few months, you're going to learn heel hooks. You're going to learn, you know, reverse X into whatever. And so I came back from that seminar and that was just like an epiphany of what's the point in spending teaching for the next eight years or whatever, eight, nine years, teaching them standard or, you know, gi orientated IBJJF jiu-jitsu to then have to say to them, right, guys, you're now purple belt, brown belts. Um, let's start adding in some heel hooks because they're going to get torn apart. They're going to get ruined. So we then basically, <laughs> I think I came back on the Saturday or the Friday. Uh, on the Saturday, we started doing leg locks as quickly as we could. Mm. Uh, that kind of makes sense so like they know how to deal with it and like yeah. uh, how to you know because first time you get put into heel look it's a bit fucking uh that's it what's the fucking word uh, alarming because you know, yeah yeah it's, you know. but then you focus on teaching you know sensible escapes learn how to escape um and also it's it's i trust them when we're, when we're teaching and thing and teaching and rolling and things you can see one of them gets the position and they don't they're not ripping it on um you know they're all being pretty civil with each other in terms of how they're applying the technique so i mean and, and if uh, if there's a guy there that rips on a heel hook or a knee bar or toe hold or something like that then he has as much chance of doing that with a kimura i would rather be caught in a heel hook maybe not an inside heel hook but a heel hook i, th- I th- anything rather than a kimura for me i hate kimuras um, oh man, I never tapped to Kimura's my fucking like, I've been Kimura'd so much my shell my shoulders are really flexible so I, I yeah. can't be I can't be Kimura'd how old are you I'm uh 21 yeah I used to think that <laughs> so I'm like uh, 33 now and my, my I used to be able to escort behind my back and now my shoulders don't my hands don't meet now and that's through uh through being really flexible at a young age doing jiu-jitsu and then and and not <laughs> You know, just not tap into certain things that I should have done, but that's just been a, a bit of a, a twat. Um, but yeah, Kimura's, um to me, like any any belt can do a Kimura and anybody you could break someone's, you could rip someone's shoulder apart. Mm. Just, we've all, we've all seen the videos of uh, like oh, white belts not tapping on time and stuff. Exactly, getting, yeah. yeah, we've all seen the videos. So I don't really think a, a leg lock of any type is really gonna be any. It's not gonna like cause it's not going to be devastating to the point of <laughs> i suppose it could still cause injury and things but it's not to say it shouldn't be taught uh, i think there's a big sort of drama about that at times so yeah we we make sure that all everybody does leg locks in some capacity mm. now that's pretty reasonable see uh since this whole thing stemmed off uh, uh chris uh what's his name again chris something and my coach? No, oh, the the guy whose seminar you went to with Jeff Glover. I forgot his oh, name. Chris, Chris Thompson, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Since this um since this stemmed off of that, what was the first seminar you attended? And uh, do you remember what was taught at it? Or was that the uh, first one yeah. you went to? Steamer. And ironically, it was uh, I remember the he taught some spider guard, but the one technique I remember was uh, the lockdown escape. Um so a bit like a an Eddie Bravo lockdown or uh, what else? Not the truck, but whatever else he calls it. Um, basically, unhooking the leg. And at the time, I, there was a guy that was using lockdowns a lot, and he just caused a huge amount of pain through your calf muscle and things. And Bradley just taught a simple unhooking of the leg and, and passing it. 
through. I think that was my first one. That would have been 2011. Yeah, Browdy Esteema. Mm. Uh, do you remember what your most recent seminar was? Most recent? Uh, Christian? Yeah. So, yeah, he came over in January. So uh, he'd just come back from the world, from Europeans in Lisbon and stopped with us for a, a couple of days. He did one seminar with us, yeah. Mm. We, we have um, a I was at the German thing, so um, we're always getting them booked. So yeah, I had a seminar with Christian back in like August, and yep. goddamn, if it wasn't the best one I've ever done, because yep. it was just just his Delahiva stuff, like the fucking like he actually made the technical stand up sweep work for me. Like I never used to be able to catch <laughs> it, but then I was actually getting it. I'm like, yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, I think he's, like he sharpened that for me as well. I I used to. I used it for a good while, but then he kind of added some bits into it. I remember that he he took a seminar at our place last summer, and he and he taught the technical stand up sweep in a way in which he was almost with his hips off the mat, um, really extended through, and it fixed a lot of people's issues they were having with it. So yeah, he does it slightly differently to the, to the way I've seen it before. I think Keenan does it more from a seated position, uh, whereas Christian seemed to really push himself from the floor, if I remember rightly. Mm. yeah that's something to emphasize like uh, there was no butt on the floor if i remember exactly, correctly yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, man, have, uh, have you ever integrated something from a seminar so well it's just become a, a key part of your game it's just a mainstay uh, mm, let me have a think um well it'd probably be um without sort of um bone smoke up his ass uh, christian's guard retention stuff but i can't remember whether that was in a seminar or whether that was sort of a, a conversation we had before or after a seminar it was you know you have these conversations i find and it might come from the most innocuous of moments you, and it changes the jiu-jitsu in some form um and his was guard retention in terms of shoulder uh, alignment so your shoulders in relation to to where they're trying to pass so basically uh, if you turn onto your right shoulder and you're facing the person trying to knee cut you uh, not letting the top shoulder get put behind the bottom shoulder so it's difficult to explain i think over over audio but um the way in which he, he, he explained it, it just meant then for a good few weeks and unless uh <laughs> that basically the guard was not getting past I was, I was conceding positions, or, or sorry, I was conceding turtle, which would score an advantage if, if I remember correctly. Um, but I was, you know, I wasn't losing the guard, and that sort of changed things for me. And that was really easy to fix because he, I remember the conversation. He looked at me, it's like, "What the f are you doing?" Um, and I, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Your shoulder's too flat." And then he kind of explained it to me, and then guard retention fixed from that moment forward to a degree. Hmm. So yeah, we got a. We got a section here, like I've recently integrated this one. I've like made a separate sort of thing. Uh, the questions for coaches and like gym owners in general. So uh, this is like the first sec time I'm testing out this section. So huge okay. honor for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the inverse of Bernardo Faria. It's like huge honor for you. <laughs> Sound like Yoda. Okay. Man, what's the, the first sort of technique or concept you try to instill in your beginners? Um... Uh, well, it's a it's a difficult one. Um, I was about to I was about to sort of jump with um, understanding the position and things. Now that's something I I can't claim to really try and instill that at this point. That's something I'm still trying to learn. So, um, the Christian has this uh, this really good theory on on. Um, he doesn't teach submissions by the sounds of it from from the conversations I've had with him. He rarely teaches in Philadelphia. He rarely teaches submissions to people or he'll tend to teach them positional dominance and eventually opportunities present themselves. Um, that's that's our plan. 20, it was supposed to be 2020, 2021 by the looks of things, by the time we're back in training. That's what I'm going to be doing with all new starters. Um, but in terms of what I teach... Uh, it tends to really be based on the person that I'm looking at. If, if it's a top-heavy person that's likely to be wanting to fight for takedowns and get top pressure position, then I'm always going to be encouraging that top game. Um, and that, then that's just weight distribution. Uh, and at every sort of at every position, 
making somebody carry your weight. This is it's it's a something that I really struggle to to put into my own game. Uh, I've always been a natural bottom player simply because I could never get my weight distribution correct. So then I sort of resigned myself to only playing bottom. Um, and then after a, there's a really good black belt in Belfast called Kieran Toll, and he fixed my weight distribution issues I was having. And now I play as much 50-50 guard passing, guard retention. Um, and I would never really want anybody to start on the back foot that I felt like I was putting myself on. So I'd always be encouraging them to get top position. However, if the person is maybe a um, anything from 76 and under, then I'd be encouraging them to think, right, they really need to be focusing massively on guard and being aggressive from guard. So it's almost a flipping flipping the the mindset. It's the it's the, the complete opposite of being aggressive on top to being aggressive on bottom. And then it's just you know guard is a full time job. That's the way we work. You you never rest in there. Mm. So uh, be, being in guard is like being a parent or something. <laughs> What's that, sorry. <laughs> being, uh, be, being in guard is like being a parent. You never yeah. get any time off. <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought I'd throw that in so I did that. You'd appreciate that. <laughs> oh man. Uh when would you suggest your students to compete and how would you help them uh, prepare for it? Straight away, because we, we I think I did my first one after two or three weeks. Um so straight away, as soon as possible. As soon as they're physically comfortable with the idea of it. Um maybe you have to factor in where they are physically, if they have the fitness in terms of um if they're if they're pretty like large and but they're in terms of uh, body fat percentage, but yeah, they're quite short. Then maybe that's something that you'd have to bear in mind. Otherwise, they could face you know if they go into the ultra heavy division, they're up against guys that are six foot five and 130 kilos. Then you know that's something to bear in mind. Is it worth a bit of time getting down in weight so that they can fight in a more realistic weight class? But apart from that, straight away. Mm. So yeah, what's your sort of coaching style and what would you emphasize the most? Would it be drilling, rolling or specifics, Byron? Uh, rolling specifics. Yeah, we, not a huge amount of drilling as such. Now, it's not to say that we, we don't, we try and always work hard in, in the session given. Um, and we have some good drills that we do. Uh, I tend to leave that up to the guy in competition class or something like that. We'd leave that up to the guys as stuff that they want to work on um and then we sort of fine tune things through the sort of uh technique sessions and then we have a very randomized approach so that people don't lull into where they're comfortable again this was something that i was probably pretty bad for and that i'd always just sit to my ass and play guard on everybody and we we don't really do that so what we do is we'd make you know say we've got a group of 20 25 people on the mats we'd say someone has to pick a position someone has to pick a guard or something like that and then we just drill it and we drill it and maybe do that six or seven times throughout the night so positional sparring more so you, you cock it up get it wrong as many times as needed until you understand why you're getting it wrong mm. uh, that's a pretty good way to go about it see uh here's a good one like uh i spent like 20 minutes trying to learn how to phrase this question because like i wanted to be a good one so <laughs> what's uh the most important value you've tried instilling in your gym's environment uh, um, team, team sort of team mindset. Um, I've have very little interest in jiu-jitsu. To me, is isn't really an individual sport, nor is it quite a team sport. But yet, you need the team. So if you don't have the team, then you're not able to do jiu-jitsu whatsoever. Um, so I, I like to see. If we go to a even like a local competition here or something like that, I like to see maybe 15, 20 people competing. That's fantastic. That's a great day for us. Um, but then I love seeing the five or five to ten people that just turn up out the blue or you know they travel down from Belfast to Newry or to Dublin or whatever to to watch, even though they have no intention of competing. I think that's amazing. I love that. Mm. Uh, so that team sort of, and then getting behind each other. I like uh, I always probably sound like a complete Hitler when we first started competing because I was like make sure you film each other's matches and things and you know offer to film each other's because 
the other person will really appreciate that at the end of the day when he has his match filmed for him and things and you know building that sort of like everyone's looking after each other sort of mentality um Mm. and just being very vocal i think one of the things that as a club we have we we struggle with at times is that we haven't really got a a depth of knowledge yet anyway um, in terms of the the verbal coaching i'm quite loud and I'm not loud in person, I don't think, but when it comes to coaching, I'm I'm very vocal. And I think that when I'm, if if there's times where you might have three people on the mat at the one time, and you can only you can only shout at one mat at a time. Um, so I like to, I want everybody else to sort of start picking up that coaching role, but that comes with time and comes with knowledge, um, which will which will, will happen. Um, that that's that team ethic that I'm on about that you know everybody's banding together. Hmm. Uh, see one of the most underrated fucking skills people don't like think about is learning how to record a match properly like hold it it horizontally don't landscape landscape sorry and don't have your fucking finger over the camera hold it steadily and fucking be clear and concise when you're cornering someone like i don't want to toot my own horn but like i think i'm a good fucking corner because you know I, i don't i don't say stupid shit i get i get to the point that i'm not like you know yeah, and also continuing the recording until the hand's been lifted. Yeah, oh my god, this. I hate people do this. Yeah, or or say you uh, you're up on points, but you're you're in side control bottom when the match ends, and you've got the 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 recording, but it ends before your hands lifted, and then they're like, well, you're probably lost because you're on bottom. Uh, I always put like I have my matches uploaded on my channel. I have it in brackets, like because some there were some instances where they didn't have a rec- my hand being raised, of course. I just put in brackets, win on points or loss on <laughs> points or whatever. So just to make it clear what yep. went down. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I think it's um I enjoy the I enjoy going as a group and sort of being a team there yeah to me it's it's far more than just uh, you compete as an individual but the the hard work the real work's all done as a team just doesn't necessarily show that way Mm. see uh here's the last question for the coaches segment see do you have any advice for future gym owners do you have anything uh, they should avoid like any pitfalls they shouldn't Uh, uh, fall into yeah i'm kind of experiencing this at this very moment in that um so, and, and like this might not age well because I might be completely wrong on this, but I suppose this is the perfect acid test. Then, um, Christian said to me when we took out, we have a three thousand square foot gym, and Christian said something to me that was really stuck in my head. This is probably uh, in early two thousand nineteen. He said, "Never take a unit or a gym, um, a facility that you can't expand into," and. So uh, I took that on board at the time. And when we took the unit, we had an area for seating and we had an area for um, like uh, what will become the fully re- the kitchen and reception area is going to be all finished, obviously change rooms and that sort of stuff. But we, we could have just matted from wall to wall uh, and that would have been a great mat space. We could have had 50 people on there, no problem. But you know, you're not always going to get those numbers of people and then you're, you're sort of um, you're restricting yourself long term. So what we decided to do was we put a, a strength and conditioning area in and we started really small. And I think with the way that the pandemic's taken effect and the, the lockdown and the uncertainty of to whether we can actually in any way grapple within two meters of each other, um, we're going to focus heavily on the strength and conditioning, which is fine because we've got a... You know, and it's a nine by four meter strength and condition area. We're going to have more. There's more kit on order already, um, and um, different uh, pieces of equipment. And that we would have just matted that whole area with jujitsu mats, and we wouldn't be able to do that. So yeah, think wisely about the gym that you've taken. I'm not really. Uh, there's plenty of far better people out there to to comment on how to run a jujitsu gym from the jujitsu perspective. But in terms of business and facility itself, think about what else you want to go on in there as opposed to just jujitsu, because that may well keep you afloat. Mm. Uh, it's a pretty good way to look at it, in my opinion, because you know, 
it's very you could just have like the whole expansive mat area but then yeah. it look it would look very barren if you didn't have like a change room a shower facility or toilets or anything you know it look a bit bit weird yeah exactly it's it's kind of defeats you need to be able to offer different things in a different roof under one roof um and so a big part of the the mentality we have in our gym is that we uh there was always a mythology myth with jiu-jitsu that you didn't need to be strong it was you know helio gracie was whatever you want uh 10 stone whatever the 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 idea is and that he was submitting people three times the size and it's firstly i don't believe that for a second but also i don't think that's realistic either we have you know far more potential if we if we get strong if we get fitter um and then learn how to do jiu-jitsu a good technique on top of that so yeah the strength and conditioning was a no-brainer for me and it's really started to sort of become important now if we can't teach jiu-jitsu then at least we can do something mm. uh see so, yeah, uh we got a few questions up the instagram just the two so okay. uh that's it uh what inspired you to take the leap quit your job and uh teach bjj full-time um well i really didn't like my job was one thing <laughs> love jiu-jitsu with a passion um i think everybody loves jiu-jitsu that's the stupid to think that that, that that I'm the only one that does. I think I'm completely obsessed with the idea of uh, of being able to do what I want to do every day and not answer to a certain, you know, whether it's a boss or something, I'm not really sure, but um, being able to do jiu-jitsu every day and being able to do what I want to do every day is, is just the most sort of um, life-changing experience. And you don't even know how you don't know what impact you teaching a simple jiu-jitsu class can have either and that's something i didn't really i didn't really take that on board until i started teaching um you don't realize that you you, you might have somebody that, different issues so back when i was heavily training a lot before i had my own club uh, i had all sorts of problems that i wasn't facing up to and things and i don't want to put uh different names on labels on things but i think some people would have just assumed that i was probably uh quite um and it's little things like going to a jiu-jitsu class just just change my outlook on on that particular day you don't know what effect you're going to have on that person when they come to your class um whether they're going through bad times or whatever you know isn't really probably none of your business but yet you you're there to do something for them and if you can help them in any way like that then that's amazing that's a job well done um and you don't know what you you, you, you might 10 years down the line you might sort of plant a seed that yeah I, one of my one of the guys that trains with me now they may have a kid that takes jiu-jitsu up in, in years and then goes on to be a world champion in 15 20 years from then um who knows what what happens but you can you, you're passing on a skill that you can't easily just pick up it's not like going to work and learning how to do coding or something like that or getting a degree or something that is still a challenge and time consuming and, and hard but this is this is more there's more to this than than just learning you know basic sort of you know, you're learning social interaction you learn how to fight you're getting fit you're getting strong you're building friendships that you're never going to, some of these friendships will be the best you ever get. Mm. You don't know what impact as a coach you're going to have. And as soon as I realized that, then I got really caught up in it. Mm. Uh, man, I see what you mean. Cause like nearly every one of my friends is from jujitsu. Cause you know, yeah. I didn't have many friends before I started. So every single I, one I, is pretty much from jujitsu. I think I could count on my hand how many friends I have outside of jujitsu now. <laughs> I hope you're not missing any fingers or anything. <laughs> <laughs> here's a question from the same person uh chichi mouse seven if you know who that is i don't know yeah, yeah. Uh, who at forge has the best side control <laughs> yeah sarah does is that uh is that the she, one from the question she, she mouse yeah she, uh, uh, sh shoulder pressure is um it's disgusting it's horrendous 
that's good to know. Yeah. Uh, so, so guys, we reached a segment of the podcast. I like to call around specifics. It's just a bunch of random questions. Some about jiu-jitsu, some aren't about jiu-jitsu. So, do you want to do a round of specifics, Mike? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Alrighty. Yeah. Uh, what's uh, your favorite gi in your uh, collection, if you have one? Uh, uh, probably my one of my recent ones, a uh, Shoyu Roll and Rucker. Uh, white gi, the the Pachecha one that came out, uh, was it the beginning of this year? I think, yeah, probably that one. But it's a, it's very classy, so I wouldn't wear that very often. Oh, that that's wouldn't, just for for special occasions. Well, no, the opposite. I wouldn't wear it at any occasion where there was a camera. You'd look like an absolute Man, I've I have a whole bunch of gis. Some for like just standard training, some for competitions, some for like yeah. fancy. Some I wear for seminars that look nice and stuff. You know. <laughs> Plus, I've I've classic geese. I've old school ones that like yeah. you never see in the world anymore. So I have, I have a, a quite the collection. I have it an Estilo one, which is probably <gasps> this is oh probably my, my favorite. But I wouldn't wear it now. It, it's fallen to pieces. So I haven't that somewhere. And I have a black Estilo three, or is it an Estilo? It's a Estilo four maybe. Um, and that's all patched up, and that's it's like a faded gray. Uh, I love that gi, and that's ripped a bit. I wear that every so often, but it doesn't, it's not in keeping with the rest of the gym's sort of clean, hopefully sort of neat aesthetics. So I don't wear it too often. See, uh, the sort of a stilo you got was that black with the orange accents, the stilo yes, four. Yeah, yeah, and then I have. I just, uh, I just got one of those off eBay recently. I'm I'm just itching to wear it because like I, I just got it and I'm like I can't fucking use it yet. I'll send you a picture of my one. Um, it's almost grey and it's just got massive patches all over it and things. It's trousers all over. God damn, uh, man! Uh, who would you say is the most famous person you've rolled with besides Christian? You can't, you can't say Christian. Uh, uh maybe Fion. No, uh, yeah, that's, that's really disrespectful. Um, Fion Ross Nichols. Um. Ross Nichols was probably the one that kind of blew my mind the most, um, especially in hindsight watching him then. I, I don't know if you saw his match against JT Torres at ADCC, just gone. Um, mm. And his guard, just as far as I remember, JT's got some of the best no-gi guard passing, didn't pass it. Um, Ross Nichols' guard is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, his butterfly guard and his no-gi sort of leg lock entries and things just crazily good uh who else um i'd say for, for fame it's got to be fion hmm. see man i got to roll a fion as well at her uh, i went to one of her seminars a few months ago and yeah. man i got to roll with her and oh my god she she fucking wrist locked me <laughs> <Who blew that? laughs> uh, man, I, I, knew, I nearly cried <laughs> yeah i think i'm probably yeah. with um uh, I'm trying to think of uh, Chris Bow as well. Obviously, he's, he's pretty keeps him. He, he uh, he's very humble and modest, but Chris Bow is is unreal. And I think I'm pretty sure I've rolled with him. Uh, and I think I may have rolled with Victor Steamer maybe. Um, but yeah, there's a rolled with quite a few people. I just can't think of too many off the top of my head. Mm. Didn't I've been to a Roger Gracie seminar before? He, as far as I remember, didn't roll with anybody that was, you know, apart from the black belts and things. That would have been incredible, but obviously it's not going to happen. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, probably feel. Mm. Aye. So, what would you say? Like, what was your favorite TV show growing up? <laughs> um, uh, oh god. Um. I can't remember. Growing up, um, probably Fresh Prince of Bel Air or something like that. Friends, oh, friends, definitely friends. Growing up, oh dude, uh, you know the, you know Uncle Phil from the Fresh Prince, right? Yeah. Oh uh, man, he was fucking. He was Shredder in the Ninja Turtles cartoon. <laughs> I, I swear to God. I remember that. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, that was glorious. See, so, uh what was the first video game console you had, and what was your first game in it? Your favorite uh, game in it? Sorry. NES, Nintendo Entertainment System. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we had a SNES after, so I was just trying to, yeah, the NES. Uh, Super Mario Brothers. Oh, man. Classic. Yeah. I think we had a wrestling game on there as well. Ooh. And, uh, 
that was back in the old school before the yeah. fucking pan, before the pandas threw a fuss and made him change the name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fuck, fucking pandas. <laughs> and then, uh, what was your, your most embarrassing injury? Whether it be a jiu-jitsu injury or a non-jiu-jitsu injury? Um, yeah, again off the sofa too fast, going dizzy, twisting my ankle, and breaking. <laughs> That's that's a new low <laughs> for this podcast. <laughs> uh, but uh, if you could ban one guard or position from competition, what would it be and why? Um, to be caught in, because I, I like playing it, but I hate being caught in it. Uh, 50-50, but I like playing the position. Uh, like a modified position now, especially, like the outside Sengaku that uh, Lachlan Giles plays. Um, what other guard? Oh, spider guard. I play it a ton, but I hate being in it. Mm. So everyone's allowed to do fifty-fifty except you. That's the that's the new law in the world. <laughs> can I add, yeah. can I add into that actually that I don't play? Nah. Yeah. I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow yeah. it. Lasso. I hate lasso guard. How dare you? I don't play it and I hate being in it. So yeah. I fucking love lasso. <laughs> about, uh, do you have any nicknames or fighting names? No. <laughs> You've got to be good to have that. <laughs> well, man, uh, I'm shit and I'm called Humanzi, so... I know, I know, I know. Well, what about remake? Well, that's, uh, what about the Widowmaker? Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah, let's everyone call Mike the Widowmaker or something. I don't know. <laughs> or how, how about we go with like a, a motif? Since Christian's yeah. called the Dream Killer, we'll have something like that. How about the, yeah, that. the Nightmare, Nightmare Slayer or some shit? I don't know. <laughs> So you're obviously just aping his style, and then that'd be funny. No, uh, you've got to be um, you've got to be of a level to carry off a nickname. Mm. I know. I just like uh, it's just the story behind my nickname is so funny. People just like they they let it slide. What is it? Human? What is it? It's a humanzi, human yeah. and, and a chimpanzee. Like what, that's what? a see. It was a hypothetical super soldier that Stalin tried to breed during the Cold War. He tried to breed humans and chimps to make a super soldier, but right. it, didn't, it, it, it didn't go anywhere. And uh, I went to an MMA class one time when I was at jiu-jitsu for a few months, and uh, this one dude hit me in the face real hard, and I was a bit, a bit annoyed. So I single-legged him. I started, you know, I got mount, and I was like, punched him in the face. And fucking, uh, I could have, I, I could do the jokey thing to make him make, look I was going to do a double hammer fist like a gorilla. And someone saw it. Was like, dude, you're like a gorilla. And I just heard that that humanzi thing the other day. I was like, oh no, not gorilla, humanzi. And I was like, dude, that's a sick fucking nickname, bro. <laughs> you should call yourself that. That's cool. And uh, oh, the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> and then I made a meme account, and here we are today. Good. Is it going well? Ah, uh, you know. Ah, uh, let's see. Uh, Christian like I made a few memes about Christian he liked them and uh, yeah. about Fionn I think she didn't like him that's why she wrist locked me because I, <laughs> I just showed them to her and she's like okay that's nice then <laughs> killed me uh, uh, man uh, do you have a do you have a favorite song to roll to uh, we we have a weird way in which we pick music at our gym um, my music's probably not massively popular I think the second death of it uh and i hogged the the speaker for the first 12 months um anything really of like an 80s 90s rock uh, and moving into sort of music that i used to listen, listen to as a kid so blink 182 some 41 that sort of stuff um black parade i think is probably one of the best songs you can roll through um but then i'd ruin it by saying bad out of hell by meatloaf it's there's a whole our music collection at our gym is pretty surreal. What we would do is we would we'd, we'd uh, pick one person, they have to give you a decade, and the next person, pick them, they have to give you a genre, and then who knows what you end up with them. The one night we had 80s jazz, and it just sounded like a softcore porno. So <laughs> <laughs> and you, have to, you, have to, you have to do an hour with that music, or you have to do it 45 minutes, so you can't just change it. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> ah, man, fucking hell. Uh, if you had a time machine, where's the first place you'd go to? Uh, uh, the Wild West. Ooh, man, that's the first of the podcast. No one's ever said that. Is there any particular reason why? You want to go uh, rustling cattle and shit? <laughs> I just think it looks pretty cool at times. I, I think you've been playing too much Red Dead. 
No, I haven't played it at all, but yeah, I know the game you mean. No, um, I just think it'd be pretty good to experience what that would have been like. Yeah, mm. make some money uh, as well. <laughs> uh, go, 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 yeah, uh, go prospecting real quick. <laughs> Man, do you have a favorite philosophical quote? Uh, <laughs> I can. <laughs> I am a walking philosophical quote machine around my house. <laughs> Let's let's hear one. I I can't. I have to. They have to come to me there and then. Um, nah. In all seriousness, yeah. I think you see a lot of them on Instagram and things like pictures of lions with I don't know. You are what you I don't know eat or whatever. Um, <laughs> what if you? Yeah, oh, yeah. That's in that. <laughs> I, I think they're a bit of, load of bollocks and probably why we laugh at them so much in our house. But. Um, I've seen some of the, the Marcus Aurelius quotes. I don't for a second think he actually said them. I just think it's somebody with an Instagram account that's probably quite literate. Um, but yeah, some of those quotes have stuck in my head at times. Uh, and the, I think there's some good videos on YouTube that get you psyched up for certain things. Um, and I, and you get some good songs as well that have things in there. But no, I'm not, I don't really rhyme off any philosophical quotes that I remember. Stop being shit was probably a good thing. <laughs> Uh, that's that's straight to the point, straight to the yeah. jugular. Yeah, we, we had a, our first proper our own gym. Uh, we started in a leisure centre, but then after six months or so, we moved into a garage, and the garage was three metres by nine metres. It was tiny. It was, it was brilliant to train in there. And we had it, the garage door didn't even lock properly, um, so we just used to push it down and slam it so so that no one could open it until we had to go there the next night. Uh, it was an absolute shithole, but it was brilliant. Mm. Uh, it, it was your shithole, though. It was our shithole, yeah, yeah. And um, so some of the things that were said in there were pretty sort of philosophical, I suppose you could say. Mm. Um, Stopping shit was probably one of them. Mm. That's one of the things I miss most about training is just the fucking philosophizing. <laughs> yeah. Dude, fucking Henzo put it great. It's like, man, you you learn more fucking things about philosophy on in a jiu-jitsu class than a fucking Harvard lecture hall. Yeah. I, I kind of believe that to an extent. I think you could probably go and learn far better insightful understandings of things from a lecture hall, but um, eh, fuck that. you can learn something in jiu-jitsu which you can't learn. Do you can't learn easily doing other things? Let's put it that way. But it's very time-consuming jiu-jitsu, which is probably why people don't stick with it. Mm. I think that, you know it takes so long to actually realize some of that. Oh man, I just remembered something. Like uh, since you brought up the Instagram account shit, there. See, I seen this like. There's like this satire account, and they put up a picture of Abraham Lincoln saying, "Don't believe everything you read on the internet." And people <laughs> were like, "The people thought it was serious." Like, um, actually, Abraham Lincoln never lived enough to see the internet. Like, like, it's a fuck. Do not get the point. It's a joke. Yeah, people are too stupid though. Hmm. But I am so proud because I came up with two semi-decent philosophical quotes that pertain to jujitsu. So, one more. Yeah. Uh, the first one that I came up with was uh, I'd rather have a good, a bad day on the mats than a good day off them. That's just my my take. Yeah, that's and good. And the, the second one was uh, uh, don't start a leg fight, you can't leg win. Oh, I like that. I have a caption the all. I have a, a black and white picture of me before a match, like it's in the middle of the slap and bump, and I have this weird fucking expression on my face, like, like I'm just ready to go I just had that plaster there like that's pretty good now, at what point though do you do you move into the world of philosophical quotes as a person as just uh, a, a I look occasionally point? and stuff but you know. and at what point do they become acceptable to be spouted off by you <laughs> this, is a, this is a tricky position mm, I don't know dude I just uh, I say stupid shit and if people think it's good or insightful I'm like awesome dude yeah I think I think if I win another competition this year, I might start doing philosophical quotes. Ah uh, man, uh, you should like uh, that's it. When you're on the podium at the end, just like uh, <laughs> it is not. Uh, I did not defeat any of you. I defeated yeah. myself or some yeah. shit like that. I don't know. Or that was the that was the toughest fight, defeating myself. <laughs> just uh, just uh, do something. Like something. There's bound to be something from the Dark Knight or something that I can just quote off. That would. Fit. Are you gonna do it? With a gravity <laughs> voice as well. Uh, Sid, uh, to get back on topic, um, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? Uh, uh, what did we watch recently? Uh, nothing too bad recently. Uh, uh, 
This is dead air now, isn't it? It's not good for your um for your audience. Um, <laughs> it'll do. It's fine. I'm professionally unprofessional, so man, I don't <laughs> care. Uh, bad films. I'm trying to think. Um, there's one artificial intelligence from years ago. That's really shit. But um, oh man, I I'm so glad I never saw that. I've heard so much shitness about him. Like let's, let's not do that. We watched Once Upon a Time in um, Hollywood recently, and it ended. And I don't know if you've seen it, but what I thought was the best ten minutes were were at the end. And I I didn't realize I should have looked into what the film was actually about because the whole thing would have made more sense. But anyway, oh. I didn't. And, uh, yeah, man, I I hated that fucking movie so much. Right. Okay. Yeah. I I initially had that sort of thought and then once I sort of looked into what it was actually about, it made a bit more sense. And I thought. They should have advertised it better to make it look like, to make it be like, okay, know what you're getting. You're getting a fucking love letter to 60, 60s Hollywood, and you're not yeah. getting a Charlie Manson murder movie. He was in two fucking seconds of the goddamn movie. They showed all of Charlie Manson in the fucking trailer. Like, fuck off with that shit. I didn't realize it was about Manson killings, so that's how stupid I was. Ugh. I mean, Tarantino would have been so at home doing fucking uh, a Charlie Manson murder movie, but no. <laughs> oh god man uh we got a bit of a moral conundrum here if you're up for it okay right <laughs> uh, so yeah would you rather cure cancer or solve world hunger oh fuck um bit of emotional whiplash there probably world hunger mm. What's what, yet... what, what kills more a year i suppose mm. And besides, maybe one of the kids uh, you save from world hunger will grow up to cure cancer. So who knows? True. Yeah. Mm. That's a good way of looking at it. Mm. So uh, in your personal opinion, uh, do you think you could pull off a handlebar mustache? Uh, oh, there's only one way to find out. <laughs> I watch Tiger King too much. So that's why that <laughs> question got added in. I have a beard and I have long hair at the moment. So I could, uh, I could easily put together a Tiger King look. <laughs> I'll try uh, it. You're, you're a Joe Exotic ensemble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that's it. If you became president of Earth, what's the first law you'd enact? Um, I would have to be uh, jiu-jitsu for everyone. Mm. So, uh, what would you describe as your jiu-jitsu spirit animal if you have one? <laughs> Uh, uh probably a chimp <laughs> uh man fucking brother chimp up in here i'm uh right there with yeah. you i like monkeying around to people i have uh, my feet are quite similar to hands so i can use my feet for for grips oh uh, dude i do that the whole time i make like a grip on their pants and my feet i call it the humanity <laughs> grip and I just, I just annoy the shit out of them with it like because yep. i keep it on for a second i set something else up just to throw a wrench into works with them yeah it's good you got four arms then. Mm. Perfect for the long range open guard, spider guard, whatever, Dalahiva lasso. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we got the last question for the specifics. It's uh, what's the most important lesson you've learned in all your years of training Jiu Jitsu? Probably toes in the mat, which I still to this day get wrong. I'm on the flats of my feet far too often. Hmm. I know that's a really boring answer, but it's the truth. No, that's, that's back, fine. Just just walk like, around like a velociraptor, like on your toes yeah. and shit. <laughs> if I look back at old footage of me competing and things, you can see my feet are flat because I'm, for whatever reason, you know, preparing to do something. I don't know what, but my toes should always be engaged. I probably don't anywhere, don't anywhere near as much as I do. And it's still a lesson I'm learning now. Uh, I think that's, yeah, that's probably the one thing that I get most annoyed at myself for. Um, also, I didn't fucking pay attention when I should have been in for the first god knows how many years of jiu-jitsu. I was obsessed with things that I thought I wanted to do. Mm. Um, that's probably not the smartest thing to do. Uh, I get you, man. It's just, you know, it's just the way of it. So, uh, so guys, we're going to call it an episode there. If you want to follow Mike, it's at MikeSummers86 and also follow Forge Grappling. I'll have their stuff in the bio anyway. Again, the Thank description, you. sorry. So, Mike, do you want to anything you want to say before we shoot off? Um, yeah, just just a huge thank you to the guys at Forge Grappling who um, 
whether they listen to this, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. But um, if you are, hello. Um, yeah, they, they've really helped build the club, build the team what it is. We have a hardcore group that have not gone anywhere this past three months, whatever it's been. And for that, I'm, I'm forever always going to be grateful for. I think usually you hear people say that they're great, they're thankful to the team for training and, you know, for doing rounds with them, preparing for competitions, that sort of stuff. That, that that's definitely the case. Uh, so thank you for all of that. But thank you for sticking by the team. Um, this is smack in the middle of the lockdown. Still hope. Well, hopefully it's going to come to an end in the not too distant future. But things are still pretty uncertain, and your support has meant so much. So thank you. Yeah, uh, and thank you to all previous training partners and coaches, guys in Belfast, in Hereford, uh, guys that I've always been around jiu-jitsu with, so many good people in it that I love, and um, just looking forward to getting back on, on the mats. Mm. All right, so thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed. Oost.